So good morning, everybody. Um, as Richard mentioned earlier, we are continuing with our series on the Psalms, and in particular, the Psalms of Ascent. And this morning, we come to Psalm 133. Uh, and you'll realize that we haven't yet had anybody up to read this Psalm for us. And that's because I thought that we might read it all together which is not uh, going to be too difficult because like the psalm we looked at last week, this one only comprises three verses. So Evan, if we could have the psalm on the screen, I hope you can all see that. So what I'm going to suggest uh, is that we effectively say this psalm to each other. So if you're in this side of the congregation, um, when I give the word, perhaps you could begin by reading the first verse and then Immediately after that, if these folks on this side could read the second verse, and then when you've done that, we will all say the third verse together. So let's see if that works. So, so starting over this side, let's all read together. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. So thank you very much for that. I thought it would be good um, to read the psalm together because um, as we've been seeing over these last few weeks as we've uh, looked at the psalms of ascent together, these are psalms that were written to be said or sung together. They were songs that the people of God sung together as they ascended to the temple in worship. This psalm wasn't written for solitary reflection and mediation, although it might be useful for that purpose as well. Instead, it was a psalm that was intended for use in community worship. And as we come to this uh, psalm, I'm not sure if this is the last one in the series or maybe there's one more to come, but the emphasis more than ever in this psalm is on the importance of communal life as a reflection of our faith in God. And so we see that in the very first verse, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. So this morning we're going to think a bit about what it means to be God's people living together in unity together. And although this is um, a short psalm, again only three verses, it goes on to contain a couple of really vivid images about what that united, harmonious, communal life should look like. And so we will look at those too and see what they tell us about our life together. So before we look in a bit more detail at this community life, first of all, just a word about a key issue, namely what's the source of this unity? Where does it come from? Those of us who've been speaking on these psalms have mentioned in uh, some of the last few weeks that we've been using a book about these psalms of ascent written by Eugene Peterson. And in his chapter about Psalm 133, 
Peterson quotes fairly extensively from the work of the German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer was uh, the German theologian who quite famously stood up to the Nazis and resisted attempts to get the German churches to fall into line with Nazi doctrine. And as a result, he was killed for his faith at the end of the war. One of Bonhoeffer's books was called Life Together, and it was a book about what it meant to be a Christian community. And he begins that book by quoting from this very first verse of Psalm 133. And he goes on to explain at length what he believes to be the source of this unity that the psalmist speaks of. The most important thing, says Bonhoeffer, is to realize that unity isn't something that we can create by our own efforts. We can't become more united or have a greater sense of community just by spending more time together or by praying together more or by coming to church together more, however valuable those things might be. No, true community, he says, comes from God himself. So in Old Testament times, when the psalmist was writing, the unity of the people as they made their way up to Jerusalem derived from the fact that they were all part of a chosen people. Their race, their particular tribes, had been chosen by God, and he had entered into a specific covenant with them where they would be his people and he would be their God. Similarly, in the New Testament, our, our identity as members of a worshipping community comes not from what we do when we meet or how we behave when we're with other Christians. It's a unity that arises because we are one in Christ. If we know him, and if we have his Holy Spirit dwelling within us, that's what brings us together. That's what enables us to live in unity and in harmonious community with each other. And yet, as we all know, God's people throughout the ages, including our own age, haven't always acted in ways that demonstrate that unity. And the fact that the psalmist feels it necessary to emphasize how good it is when God's people live in unity together implies that there are many times when actually that's not how we live. So we need to explore what we need to do to make sure that our lives are a more faithful reflection of the united Christian community of which we're a part and which has its source in God. Eugene Peterson, writing about Psalm 133, says this, God never makes private, secret salvation deals with people. His relationships with us are personal, true. Intimate, yes. But private, no. We're a family in Christ. When we become Christians, we're among brothers and sisters in faith. No Christian is an only child. So you see, we don't really have a choice. We might find other people a nuisance. We might be bored by them or irritated by them. 
But simply choosing to live a Christian life in splendid isolation is not an option. We've previously looked at other parts of the Bible when we've seen similar teaching and we've observed that actually in some ways this communal life is countercultural. We live in an age when it's very easy because of modern forms of communication to work at home, to take your entertainment at home, to have your shopping delivered, to have your meals delivered and never have to interact with other people at all. So when, as Christians, we emphasize the need to live together in community, to help and support each other, there will be some people who will pull a face and say, well, do we have to? But yes, we do. And actually, interestingly, even in the secular world, there's perhaps beginning to be a turning of this particular tide. And many people now see that the outcome of everybody living increasingly independent lives is that the old and the vulnerable are neglected. Remote communities feel cut off. Young people feel no sense of community and are therefore without hope. So maybe there is a turning back to the idea that being together in community and in fellowship with those around us is better than trying to live alone. How wonderful it is, the psalmist says. How pleasant for God's people to live together in unity. And then the psalmist introduces us to this remarkable picture of the oil being poured on the head of Aaron and running down his beard. Now there's a whole lot of references to oil and anointing with oil in the Bible that can help us to understand why this imagery is used here and what the psalmist is trying to say about living together in unity. So first of all, oil is associated with joy. In the famous 23rd Psalm, the psalmist prays, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup, overflows and then in Psalm 104 he makes wine that gladdens the heart of man oil to make his face shine oil associated with joy and occasions of joy it's also sometimes uh, described in the Bible as a healing balm so in, in Isaiah Chapter 1, verse 6, we read this. From the sole of your foot to the top of your head, there is no soundness, only wounds and bruises and open sores, not cleansed or bandaged or soothed with oil. So the oil of gladness, the oil of healing and soothing. Perhaps, however, the most... Uh, the most common idea we associate with anointing in the Old Testament is the idea of somebody being commissioned for a particular task. And the reference here in the psalm to Aaron's beard takes us to uh, Exodus chapters 29 and 30. So in Exodus 29 verse 7, the 
priests are told, take the anointing oil and anoint him, Aaron, by pouring it on his head. And then in the following chapter, chapter 30, anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them so they may serve me as priests. Say to the Israelites, this is to be my sacred anointing oil for the generations to come. Do not pour it on men's bodies and do not make any oil with the same formula. It's sacred and you are to consider it sacred. So what's, what's the psalmist said so far about this unity that we are to have with each other? Well, first of all, it's to be joyful. Secondly, it's to act like a healing balm, touching those people and situations in our fellowship which need special care. And it also has a, a sacred commissioning role. Our fellowship with each other, our unity with each other should equip us for the task of being God's ambassadors in the world. And we are anointed for that task. But as well as these things, it seems to me that there's one further thing that the psalmist is saying to us here. The anointing that's referred to in verse 2 isn't just a little dab of symbolic oil. It's a significant amount of oil. It's poured on the head and overflowing, running down Aaron's beard and onto the collar of his robes. This speaks of extravagance and abundance, going beyond what's strictly necessary or required. So when we do things together that are intended to build up our community life, we should do them abundantly, not grudgingly, not doing just enough. We need to be generous with our money and our time, generous with all that we have and all that we are, if we're going to be faithful to the type of living together in unity that the psalmist has in mind. So let's just apply what we've thought about a bit more specifically to the things that we do as a church together. One of the things that we do uh, in to demonstrate our unity is to come together to worship on a Sunday. Based on this psalm and what we've seen so far, we can say that our worship should be joyful. And perhaps if we apply this image of oil and the oil of anointing, perhaps we should think that our worship should have some special elements in it. The priests were told that no one else could use oil of the type that was used to anoint Aaron and his sons. Now, I'm not, definitely not, advocating that we should have a very high church style of worship with incense and oil and candles and so on. But nevertheless, perhaps we should reflect that occasionally we need to make sure that our worship isn't just a routine extension of our ordinary lives. We come to worship the living God. Our experience of worship should therefore be extraordinary. Our life together should also be generous and abundant in the manner of the oil running down Aaron's beard. If a friend comes to you and says, I'm feeling a bit down, I've got a problem, I need, it, I need to sort it out, can, can we talk? You wouldn't say to your friend, well, yes, we'll talk, but I'm rather busy at the moment. I can only spare you a few minutes. 
No, out of a generous and abundant spirit, you would spend time with your friend, however long it took them, to help with your prob their problem. And this is part of the abundance, some might even call it extravagance, of our life in community with each other. And the final aspect of anointing, which should be true of our community life together, is it should commission us or equip us for service. Our community life together should act as an encouragement to us to serve those around us, and it should equip us for that service. So whether the particular expression of community life that we're thinking about is Sunday morning service, or whether it's perhaps a home group or some other church fellowship group, the effect that those events should have on us is to enthuse us to serve our neighbors and to share the love of Christ with them. So let's turn to the next image used by the psalmist. In verse 3, he says, it's as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. There's two ideas I want to share with you here. One's about the nature of dew, and the other is about the geography of Mounts Hermon and Zion. Now, Mount Hermon is the highest mountain in the region, so high that its upper slopes are covered in snow for much of the year, and as a result, it's well known for its heavy dew. It's also in the northern kingdom of Israel, so it was in a separate part of the kingdom from Jerusalem. Within the wider promised land, there's therefore a part of the kingdom, Mount Hermon, that enjoys a special blessing because of its natural location and climatic conditions. And so the psalmist is making clear that when God's people live together in unity, it's as if the natural blessings of Mount Hermon are shared with a part of the kingdom that's in need of them. So here's the first idea that's implied by this verse, the idea that a part of the wider kingdom of God might share its blessing with another part. When, people, when God's people live together in unity, this is what it's like. There's blessing for all. So it may be, for example, that a partial expression of our life in unity together in the Spirit of God might be that particular congregations who are enjoying times of blessing might share that with congregations which are going through hard times. Or it might be that certain groups within the congregation who have something specific to offer might be a blessing to others in their own particular way. Of course, the other aspect of verse 3 is to think about the nature of the dew itself. In an often dry and barren land, it brings refreshment. It comes in the morning. It means there's a fresh, invigorating life, a, a, an invigorating, life-giving start to each new day. Now, I know it's hard in this country, in our climate, but imagine a land that's hot, barren, and dry. We perhaps got a little bit of a taste of that last summer when day after day was hot and sunny. And if you just wanted to sunbathe, that was fine. But if you wanted to do any activity or grow anything, um, then you'd have been frustrated as the ground 
got harder and more dry. And so we can imagine that this image of the heavy dew is a very vivid image. The moisture brings refreshment in a way that's practical and meets the needs of the surrounding countryside. And at the same time, it's pleasant and stimulating to the senses. Is our life together sufficiently united and harmonious that we can properly compare it to the morning dew appearing at the start of each new day to refresh and renew the landscape? Wouldn't it be amazing if someone were able to say of you that your presence in their life was like the dew bringing refreshment and new life in a parched land? Just think what you would need to do for people to be able to say that about you. What would we as a church need to do before the community around us could say, having Shirley Baptist Church in our midst is like the refreshing dew at the start of a new day. So two very vivid images that the psalmist uses, the, the oil of abundance, the oil of healing, and the refreshing dew at the start of the new day. And then finally, in the final verse, the psalmist concludes with a reference to the blessing of God. Having said how good it is for God's people to live in unity together, and having illustrated it with these two images, we're told that for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. The promise is that it's in the midst of our worshipping, united, harmonious community. A community, let's remember that, has been created out of our unity in Christ and empowered by his spirit. It's in the midst of that community that God's blessing will come. And that blessing is life forevermore. Sometimes in the way we speak about our faith, we've turned the idea of eternal life into something entirely private, something entirely between us and God. And don't get me wrong, there is undoubtedly a need for each of us as individuals to respond to the call of God on our own lives in order to come into his greater community. But the message of the psalmist seems to be that the truest and richest blessing comes when we live together in unity with our brothers and sisters, living joyfully and abundantly with blessing and healing, fresh and new every morning in his service. Let's pray together.